Thank you for listening to Pastor Sean's Bible Study Teaching Podcast from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. This lesson was recorded during our Wednesday night adult seminars. For more information on Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. You don't have to raise your hands on this, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your prayer life? Again, don't raise your hand. How would you rate your prayer life? Praying is one of those things that we know we should do as Christians, but we don't probably do it as often as we should. And sometimes we can get stuck in our praying and not know what to pray or how to pray. Um, and, and I guess my question tonight is how many of us truly could say, and again, I don't want you to raise your hands, that you have a dynamic, thriving, vibrant prayer life with the Lord? Um, probably, I would say, that, that, that's probably not most of us, a thriving, dynamic prayer life. So what I want us to do tonight with Daniel chapter 9, we're just going to, the, the first part of Daniel chapter 9 is a little easier to understand. The second half of Daniel chapter 9 is the most confusing and the most controversial part of Daniel. So I, wanted, I didn't want to do too much tonight. So I want to ask two questions. And both of these questions deal with prayer. Because what we have in Daniel chapter 9 is an actual recorded prayer in the Bible. We have Daniel's actual recorded prayer. And so I think it's always good to study the actual prayers in Scripture because you see how you're supposed to pray. It's a recorded prayer. So these are the first question is more theological. The second question is more practical. So here's the first question related to prayer. Why? It's a why question. Why should I pray if God is sovereign and he's got it all figured out and he will accomplish his will regardless of us? Now, there is a fallacy in that question. There's something in that question that is not necessarily true. Now, let's break down that question. Why pray if God is sovereign? Does, is God sovereign? Okay, that's true. Does God have it all figured out? Yes. Okay. Will God accomplish his will? Yes. Okay. The last little phrase there, regardless of us, is that necessarily true? In other words, we don't arm twist God to get him to do what we want. And we don't, we're, we're, prayer is a means that God uses through our praying. I can't explain it, but somehow through our praying, God accomplishes his will. Now, he can accomplish his will without our prayers, but God uses our prayers as the means to accomplish his will. So it brings up a, a theological question. Do you pray if God is sovereign? Why pray? A better way to put it is, I pray because God is sovereign. Because I know he can answer. So can you change God's mind by your praying? Can you get God to do something he hadn't planned to do before by by arm twisting him or manipulating him, or no, we can't do that. We don't. We don't change God's mind. Does God know what you need before you ask Him? Yes. What did Jesus say? 
in Matthew 6, verse 8. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And this is in the context of the Lord's Prayer. So, if God knows what we need, and God has it all figured out, then why pray? We're not giving God information that He doesn't already have. God is sovereignly going to accomplish His will. Why even bother praying? It seems like a futile exercise to pray if God's sovereign and He already knows what we need. So why pray? Let me give you the answer to that. Mm -hmm. The easy answer is we pray because we're commanded to pray, but that, that's, that's the easy answer, okay? But, but let me give you a deeper answer. We pray not to change God's mind, not to get God to do something that He's not already planning on doing. Prayer does not change God, prayer changes us. Prayer aligns us with God's will. Prayer is a means for us to grow closer in intimacy with God. So what is the purpose of prayer? Is it to change God's mind or to grow closer in intimacy and fellowship with our great God? We pray because we need God. We're desperate for God. We, we cultivate that relationship with God. We don't pray to manipulate him or, or because he's some cosmic Santa Claus that gives us goodies. We pray because we are needy people who need God and we need to draw close to him. Um, let me give you a quote from R.C. Sproul. So this is not on, your, not on your sheet, but let me just read it to you. R.C. Sproul says this, Does prayer change God's mind? No. Does prayer change things? Of course. We pray because of God's sovereignty, because we believe that God has it within his power to order things according to his purpose. That's what sovereignty is all about, ordering things according to God's purpose. So does prayer change God's mind? No. Does prayer change things? Yes, of course. What prayer most often changes, and here's what I want you to hear, what prayer most often changes is the wickedness and the hardness of our own hearts. That alone would be reason enough to pray, even if none of the other reasons were valid or true. He's saying prayer changes our hearts. Doesn't change God's mind, but prayer aligns our hearts, changes our hearts, gets our hearts in line with where God is. So the first question is a theological question, and you guys are, know enough of the Bible that I don't need to spend time taking you to all the places to teach God's sovereignty. You've been around Emmanuel long enough. We know we should pray because God is sovereign. But the second question is the one that we're going to spend most of our time, and it's more to the point. It's the practical question. This is how. How should I pray? First question is, why should I pray? Second question is, how? Well, we are going to see a recorded prayer that models for us one of the ways that we can pray. Now, let's do a little bit of review. Remember back in Daniel chapter 6, remember when all of the other officials came to the king and said, you know, they, they tried to assassinate Daniel's character, but he was a man of integrity, so they could find nothing against him. So they, they talked the king into making that edict. 30 days, what were you supposed to do? For 30 days, you can't pray to any god. You've got to pray to the king. And what does Daniel do? He goes up to his room, opens the window, and prays three times a day. 
And then he gets on his knees and obviously he gets thrown into the lion's den. So we know back then in chapter six, Daniel was a man of prayer. Back in chapter six, we did not know the content of his prayer. Here we do. We see what he was actually praying. And so as we read this prayer tonight from the lips of Daniel, what I want us to do is I want us to see four overarching issues or truths or items regarding prayer from Daniel chapter 9, 1 through 19. So we're going to take this in bite-sized chunks tonight. So four big ticket items related to prayer. Okay, so first of all, let's examine the reason for his prayer. Why is Daniel praying? And we find that in verses 1 and 2. So let's, let's if you don't already have Daniel chapter 9 open, let's read that together. Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of, ah, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Asarius, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay. This is before Daniel begins to pray, but we have to ask the question, why is he praying? And here's what happens. The answer comes from the Bible. Daniel, this is amazing. What is Daniel? Daniel's reading from the book of who? Jeremiah. That's an Old Testament book, right? Daniel is reading an Old Testament book in his own time. So Daniel is reading from the Bible in his own time, and he comes across information pertinent to what's going on in his own time. So remember, way back to the beginning of Daniel, chapter 1, Daniel's a teenager, right? Probably 15, 16 years old. He's in Jerusalem. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, conquers Jerusalem, carts all of the royal officials and their families back to Babylon. And so... That's the beginning of the, the conquering of Jerusalem, and then we call it the exile, where the Israelites were taken into exile. How many years were they supposed to go? What does it say right there? 70 years. Okay, so Daniel reads in his Bible from the prophet Jeremiah that they're supposed to be there for 70 years. Now, Daniel's an old man. What do you think he's thinking? He's looking at his proverbial sundial, or I don't know, he's looking at his watch thinking, we may be getting close here. Why are we still in exile? Lord, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm coming across something that I'm reading that says that we're only supposed to be here 70 years. Why are we still in exile? Is there going to be an end to this? Are we, are we going, to ever be able, going to be able to go back to Jerusalem? So let's ask the question, what did he read in Jeremiah? It says right there, he read from Jeremiah the prophet. So what did Daniel probably read? Well, let's look at Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12. This whole land, talking about Jerusalem, Israel, shall become a ruin, a waste, and the nation shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So Daniel reads in Jeremiah 25 that this exile is supposed to last 70 
years. And then the Israelites will be brought back into the promised land. Okay? Jeremiah 29.10. There's another place in Jeremiah where it says this. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So, Daniel's an old man. He reads this. Probably made good on his promise. So here's the question. Again, kind of a theological question we asked earlier. If God has promised it, and obviously he has because it's in Scripture, 70 years, God's promised it, Jeremiah prophesied it, and it's a done deal because God is absolutely sovereign, then why does Daniel pray? Isn't it just a waste of time? Couldn't Daniel just say, well, who cares? Kasera, kasera, what will be, will be. Doesn't really matter if I pray. God made this promise, but who cares? No, because Daniel reads it, and because God is sovereign, and because God made a promise, that moves Daniel to pray. So let me just say this. Those of us that believe strongly in the sovereignty of God, here's a warning to us. God's sovereignty is never an excuse for laziness, lack of prayer, or lack of evangelism. I don't want to ever hear people around Emmanuel say, because God is sovereign, we don't need to do evangelism because he's going to get it done without us. Because God is sovereign, we don't need to pray or seek his face because after all things are going to happen the way he wants them to happen that's fatalism that's an attitude that basically says i play no part in the equation now obviously there is human responsibility and there's god's sovereignty and those two things work together we don't know exactly how it works but never do we see god's sovereignty or prophecy or anything in the bible as an excuse not to pray or not to act or not to serve Okay, so we pray, we serve, we do missions, we do evangelism because God is sovereign. And we trust that he will work out his purposes, but the joy is in the journey. The joy is part of being in God's work. Here's what happens. Let me just ask you a question. Will God get his will done? If you're not willing to be a part of it, is is that going to stop God? He may bypass you and use somebody else to do it, and that other person may get the joy of being a part of it, and you miss out. So he uses us in our prayers and our missions and our evangelism and our work and our serving as the means to bring about his glory, and he asks us or commands us to be a part of that. And so prayer is joining God in this process of him accomplishing his will by pouring our hearts out to him, trusting him. We don't change his mind. We, wow, something's going on out there. He changes us. So let me be very practical here, okay? This is very practical. Daniel prayed with an open Bible. In essence, the scriptures informed his prayer life. We too should pray with an open Bible. This is very, very practical in your praying. I've said this before. How many times have you started to pray and fallen asleep? Or how many times have you prayed and the thoughts of the day wander in your mind and the list starts coming and all these things like, I got to do this, that, and like, what did I pray? What I? And then your prayers kind of just can become, dear Lord, um, dear Lord, um, help me, bless me. So if you have an open Bible, 
you can pray back to the Lord what you've read in your Bible. Okay, so you, you, can, you can do that. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. So the reason that Daniel prays is because it's informed by Scripture. Daniel reads it in Scripture that the exiles should be coming to an end after 70 years. And he also prays because he knows God is sovereign and God's, God promised it. And so that's the reason why Daniel prays, okay? Because he reads it in his Bible and God is sovereign. All right, secondly, let's look at the attitude of the prayer. We've seen the reason for the prayer. Let's look at the attitude. So this is in verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord, God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Okay. So Daniel here is a humble, contrite man, desperate for God's power and presence, he pleads for mercy, he undergoes a fast, and he is in sackcloth and ashes. This is more than just a dear Lord bless me prayer. This is a time of intense praying. He's fasting and praying. He's seeking the Lord diligently. It's an attitude of desperation. It's an attitude of humility. And when it says there he turned his face to the Lord, it's very strong in the original language. It means that he sought the Lord diligently, passionately. He wouldn't stop praying until he was exhausted and received an answer. And who is he praying to? I turn my face to the Lord God. Lord God. That is Adonai. Sovereign King. So Daniel's saying, I'm praying to the sovereign king. The God who's absolutely sovereign. I'm bowing before him. I'm in sackcloth and ashes. Now, you may think, what's sackcloth and ashes? We don't, we don't wear sackcloth and ashes today. Sackcloth is kind of like burlap or potato sack, and then you put ashes on your head and you sit in ashes. This was a symbolic way in the ancient Near East for them. Oftentimes when somebody died or you went to a funeral, it was a way of showing mourning, a way of showing sadness. It's a symbolic way of Daniel saying, I'm going through an intense time of repentance, confession, intense prayer. So even he changes the way he dresses, puts on kind of scratchy clothing, sits in ashes, puts ashes on his head. He's, he's humbling himself before the Lord. Now, we don't, anybody here ever put burlap sack, sack on and ashes on their head when they prayed? Anybody here prayed with sackcloth and ashes? No, I've never done that. So it's not what you wear is important. That was more of a cultural issue for ancient Israel. The real issue in prayer is your attitude. Are you lazy? Are you flippant? Are you disorganized? Or are you focused, desperate, humble, and genuinely seeking the Lord? Okay, let me be practical again here. Talking about when you have your, whether you call it a quiet time or your daily devotion or your personal time, two bits of practical information about prayer. Number one, pray with an open Bible because it keeps your thoughts organized. And I'm not being legalistic here, so you don't. Not, this is not like gospel truth. You absolutely have to do these things. But secondly, and you may find this a little strange, I pray out loud. And here's the reason why. It keeps me focused. There's nothing wrong with praying in your head. It's just when I pray out loud, it helps me stay a little bit more focused. 
it helps me. There's nothing magical about praying out loud. It's just there's something about audibly speaking that for me personally keeps me more focused because sometimes when I pray in my mind, it takes a little bit more energy to pray out loud than it does praying in your mind. Again, you don't have to do that. I've just found it to be helpful to me. Helps me stay awake, helps me stay focused, okay? But listen to the attitude here. So it's a passionate, desperate cry for mercy. He's in fasting, sackcloth and ashes. It's this prayer of desperation. You often hear the psalmist say this. So like Psalm 63, one. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've often said this before. We don't use language like that, do we, when we talk about God? When's the last time you said, I fainted for God yesterday? I thirsted for God. I earnestly sought God. These are strong terms. Earnestly seek, faint, thirst. Psalm 73, 25 through 26 whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So why do we pray? Because God is sovereign. Why does Daniel pray? Because he reads in scripture some information that informs his praying. And then how should we pray? We pray with an attitude of humility, desperation, Seeking the face of the Lord with urgency, with passion, with zeal. Okay, so we've seen the reason for the prayer and the attitude for the prayer. Third, I want us to look, this is the majority of what we're going to look at tonight, the actual elements of the prayer. What's in the prayer? What are the elements of the prayer? And the, the elements we see here, three. From this heartfelt, desperate prayer, we see three essential elements of prayer. So what, what we see in Daniel, I think, is very practical. These three elements should be in your prayer life. And especially in this order, because this is the same order that Jesus gives them in the Lord's Prayer. So let's look at this. So let's, let's read the actual prayer itself. So let's, let's pick up in verse 4. This will be the longest section. We're going to go all the way through verse 19 because this, this is the entire recorded prayer here, okay? Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made my confession saying, comma, quotation, here's the recorded prayer. You guys ready? O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We've sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you've driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him. He's confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us. 
by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he's done. And we've not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is to this day, we've sinned and unwickedly, wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, acts. Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that's called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. That's the prayer. That's not a dear God bless me prayer, is it? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you feel the intensity and the earnestness in the prayer itself? So let's look at the three elements. What's the first? The first thing, and this is almost true of every recorded prayer in the Bible, it almost always starts with adoration or praise. Do you see that there in verse 4? How does the prayer actually start? In verse 4, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. O Lord, the great and awesome God, the covenant-keeping God, the God who shows steadfast love. Chesed love, the great God, the awesome God, the forgiving God. So there's this theme that, that Daniel starts his prayer. He doesn't just start in and say, Lord, bless me and give me. It's He comes into God's presence and says, you're awesome, you're powerful, you're, you're, you're merciful. And then there's a theme going all the way through this. Daniel keeps talking about God's righteousness. You can see it down there in verse 14, and it's repeated. Therefore, the Lord is ready the calamity that he's brought upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he's done. You kind of see the repeated righteousness. So this is a pattern we see in almost every recorded prayer in the Bible. The prayers almost always start with praise to God for his character or his wondrous works. So let me ask you, in the Lord's Prayer, how did Jesus teach us to start the Lord's Prayer? Does the Lord's Prayer start with, give us this day our daily bread? No. How does the Lord's Prayer start? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer starts with praise. Exalted God, Father God, Holy God. God in heaven. It's about your power. It's about your glory. It's about your awesomeness. It's about your rule. So when we start our prayers with praise, it again shows the sovereignty of God, the majesty, and it allows us time to relish in the relationship. We grow in our relationship with God 
when we spend time telling God how awesome he is. Now, does God need us to tell him how awesome he is? No. But we are called to ascribe the glory to the Lord, to, to glorify him, to praise him, to worship him, to come into his presence with the praise. Oftentimes, and I'm not saying you should never ask God for something, because we'll see that here in just a moment. Oftentimes, though, we can be imbalanced in our praying. Our praying can simply be a laundry list of things we want God to do, as opposed to spending time praising God for who he is. So we just need to make sure that we start with prayer and adoration. So this is why it's important to have your Bible open when you're praying. Because how do you know you're praising God in the right way? By what he's told you to do. So let's do an exercise right now. Okay? You think you're going to do an exercise in prayer tonight. In verse 4. Okay. Daniel praises God for his covenant love. You're a God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Okay? Now, sometimes you can just throw up a praise to God and say, God, I thank you for your love. And that's good, but let's go a little bit deeper. Ask yourself, and you may want to just, I may just give you a few seconds to write this down on your sheet. How has God been great and awesome to you today, or maybe this week? What has God done for you? I mean, you can just say, thank you, God, for your love. And that's good, but be specific. How specifically has God shown you love? Have you thanked him for that? Have you praised him specifically for a specific act of love that he's shown you? I'm trying to get us beyond generic, God bless me, God bless you, <laughs> prayers, to, to, to being very specific. And Daniel's very specific here. Oh Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love and who keep his commandments. He is the great and awesome God. Or, or maybe think of it this way. How has God been awesome? And that's an overused term. How has God been awesome in your life? So the prayer starts with praise, adoration, worship. That's how the prayer starts, and that's how almost every recorded prayer in the Bible starts going directly to God and praising him, worshiping him. But then the second thing, and this is the majority of the prayer, he moves on to the confession of sin. From chapter 5, I mean from verses 5 to 14, this is one big long confession of sin. Which is interesting because let's ask the question, have we seen any evidence in the book of Daniel where he's ever personally sinned against God? But he's confessing the sins of his people. He's owning up to the sins of the entire nation and including himself in that. So in verse 5, you see the beginning of the confession. And notice what he says. He does, he, he does not gloss it over, okay? What Daniel does here in his confession is he gets very specific. And he uses language that's very harsh, Notice what he says. We've sinned. We've done wrong. Acted wickedly. Rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets. I mean, he, he's using very strong words. He, he calls sin what it is. It's wicked. It's rebellion. So let me say this about confession. Confession of sin in your prayer life needs to be specific. 
We can often use blanket prayers. Lord, Lord, forgive me for my sins today. Or you could be more specific and say, Lord, forgive me for the sin of being impatient and yelling at that person at the intersection that was driving too slow. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that wasn't what happened to me today. I was just thinking about the person that popped in my mind. So, um, very specific in our confession. And so let's remember this, though, as we confess sins. We need to always keep this in the back of our mind. As believers, all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for by Jesus on the cross. So technically, in a sense, all of our sins are forgiven. So when we pray, we're not necessarily asking God to forgive us of sins that Jesus hasn't already paid for on the cross. What we're doing is we're confessing sin. Now, let's ask the question, what is confession of sin? So confession of sin comes from two Greek words, okay? You'll know one word. I'm not using this as a pejorative. I know sometimes in our culture today, homo in, in the Greek language just means the same. Logeo, logos, comes from the word word. To confess means we are saying the same word. In other words, what, what confession means is I'm agreeing with God that what I'm doing is sin. That's what confession means, to say the same, to, to agree with God that what you're doing is sin. You're acknowledging it. You're calling it out. You're basically saying, I'm agreeing with God that what he says in his word is sin, and I'm calling it out against myself. I'm agreeing with that. I'm owning up to it. I'm saying it's sin. I'm confessing it. I'm not hiding it. I'm not burying it. I, I'm, I'm confessing my sin. I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing with God that it is sin, and I'm agreeing with God that I have personally sinned. And I'm confessing that. I'm bringing it out in the open. And so Daniel gets specific in his confessions. What does he say in verse 6? We have not listened to your servant, the prophets. Now, we could go, we could spend a whole long time talking about that. What did God do in sending the prophets? What did the prophets, what did the prophets tell Israel? What did Jeremiah the prophet tell Israel? If you don't repent, you're going to be taken over by Babylon. If you don't get rid of your idolatry, you're going to get taken into captivity. If you don't repent, God's going to judge you. So let's ask the question, why are they in exile in the first place? Why do they have to be overtaken by Babylon? Why are they experiencing 70 years of captivity? Okay, let's, let's slip back to Sunday morning for a moment. <laughs> Judges. In the book of Judges, you see this pattern. We talked about it Sunday. Remember what the pattern is? The people do evil. God disciplines them. They get taken over by a nation. They cry out, and God does what? He gives them a judge, a military leader. That leader comes, delivers them. The nation has peace for 40 years, and then that judge dies, and guess what happens? It starts over and over and over again. 
But never in the book of Judges does God ever displace them from the promised land. He has them judged in the promised land by nations overtaking them. But, it, but they, they get out, they get in, they get out. It's kind of this ebb and flow. By this time in history, things have gotten so bad that God says, you have gotten so corrupt, Israel. I'm in a sense that the land is going to vomit you out. You're going to get kicked out of the promised land. And you're going to be taken into a foreign land. Your temple's going to be destroyed. Your wall's going to be broken down. Your city's going to be burned. And you're going to ultimately have to spend 70 years, a whole generation, outside the promised land in exile. Now, things were really bad in Judges. But things had to get really bad at this time for that to happen. And who did God send to warn them? The prophets. And what did the people do with the prophets, especially Jeremiah? They put him in stockades. They put him in prison. They wanted to cut off their heads. They, 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 they didn't want to listen to the prophets. God, in his grace, sent the prophets to the people to warn them, you need to repent of your idolatry. If you do not repent, you know what's going to happen to you. You're going to be taken over. We don't care. We're going to do what we want to do. So they did not listen. To the prophets. And then what does he say in verse 11? What's another specific sin? They didn't obey the law of Moses. Look at verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him. This goes back to Deuteronomy 28. Basically, Deuteronomy, if you go back and read, we, don't, we won't go back and read, but if you go back and read Deuteronomy 28, basically that whole chapter says, if this is going to happen to you, Israel, if you, if you continue in unrepentant idolatry, you will be kicked out of the land. So they didn't listen to prophets, and they transgressed what God spoke to them about in the law of Moses. Now, who committed these sins? Did Daniel commit these sins? Well, he was a teenager. His parents and his grandparents committed these sins. But he's confessing them. Why is he confessing him? Well, he understands that as a covenant member of the nation of Israel, their guilt kind of becomes his guilt, and he's, he's paying the price for, for what they did. But as he's confessing sin, he acknowledges that God has every right to do this. God, you're righteous in doing this. You promised you would do this. We, we didn't listen to you. We didn't listen to, our, to, your, to the prophets. We disobeyed the law of Moses. We turned aside. We've rebelled. We've become idolaters. God, you have every right to do this. And ultimately, what was the issue? Look at verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. We didn't repent. We didn't turn from our iniquity. All this is happening because we did not seek your face. We did not repent. We did not want to know the truth. And we got what we deserved. Now, 
Sometimes confession can turn in a wrong direction if you're not careful. You don't want to get to the point where you're confessing so much sin that you end up feeling like a worm and there's no hope. Okay, Like you can just like, I'm such a poor, miserable sinner and there's no hope. Okay. Yes, you have sinned. But is there hope in the gospel? Yes. So, as believers, yes, we should confess sin. Yes, we should be specific. Yes, we should come clean. But our confession should always drive us back to the cross. Robert Murray McShane, the, the Scottish pastor of the 1800s, said this, For every look at self, take ten looks at the cross. For every look at self, take ten looks at the cross. So here's basically what I'm saying. If you're not careful, confession can lead to despair if you're not careful. So confession should be honest and specific. Don't gloss over it. But it should never lead us to despair or doubt or an unhealthy self-introspection. Woe is me, I'm loathsome, God must hate me. If that's where you stay in your confession, you're not believing the gospel. Now, you need, to, you need to understand your sin and how it's offended God, and you need to repent. But you also need to find salvation and grace and joy in the cross and realize that God does truly forgive you, and that he does cleanse you, and that when you confess, there is the promise. What does is, what is 1 John 1, 8, I think it's 1, 9. I'm not sure why it says 1, 8, but it's actually 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. So let's let's backtrack. Why is Daniel praying? Daniel's praying because God is sovereign. He's reading the Bible. He's, he's praying with an open Bible and he realizes that he reads in Jeremiah we're supposed to be in, in captivity for seven years and it's getting kind of close to the end here. God, God are you going to bring this thing to a close? Okay. Secondly, what's the attitude of the prayer? Humble passionate, pouring out his heart in earnestness. Okay, there's three elements of the prayer. What's the first element? Praise and adoration. Pray, praising and, and worshiping God for who he is. Second is what? Confession of sin. Okay, here's the third. Okay, you can call it pe petition or request or ask, whatever you want to call it. We see Daniel petition or ask God to do something. So this is actually where you ask God. You can call it request, ask, petition, but it's the third thing he does. It's not the first thing he does. He does ask God to act, to move, and let's look at what Daniel does. But it only comes after he's confessed sin and after he's worshipped. So in verses 15 through 19, he pleads with God to do something. Okay. So verse 15, you often see something that people in the Bible do and we need to understand what it is and what it's not. So, so look at verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as, as it is this day, we have sinned and we've done wickedly. Now, what he's doing there is he's reminding God of what he did in the past. What's, what's, what's Daniel reminding God of what he did? In the past, you delivered us out of what? Out of Egypt with the mighty hand. So in a sense, what's, what's Daniel doing? God, you've done this before. 
we were in dire straits before and you got us out. I know you can do it now. Now, is this a bargaining chip where Daniel's buttering up God to get him to do something by reminding him of the past as if God forgot? No, that's not what Daniel's doing. Daniel knows that God delivered the nation out of Egyptian bondage into the promised land and that he can do it again. He can deliver them from Babylonian bondage and take them to the promised land again. So he's not buttering God up. He's, sometimes you look at the prayers in the Bible and you think, why are they telling, why are they reminding God of what he's done? Doesn't God already know? Remember, this is a recorded prayer. Daniel's pouring his heart out. You can, kind of, you, you can hear him saying, God, I know my history. I know our people were once in Egyptian bondage and you got us out then. You, 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 you're part of the Red Sea. You, the Egyptian army drowned. I know, you, I know you've got power to do it. You've done it in the past. Would you do it now? Let me just ask you a question. Is there anything wrong with asking God to do that? Is there anything saying, God, I know you've done this in the past. Would you please do it now? There's a difference between asking and demanding. I think I've told this before. I have, a, I have a pastor friend. He's no longer in the ministry, but he told the story one time about how he was on vacation and he went to this church and he didn't quite know what the church believed or what their theology was. And as he got there, he's like, I think this church has kind of got probably a little weird, but it was time for the pastoral prayer. And so everybody bowed their head and the pastor started praying. And the pastor started praying. He goes, Lord, I demand that you do this. Lord, I command that you do this. And my friend looked up and waited to see if the pastor had been struck by lightning in the middle of the... But is Daniel here demanding or is he asking? He's asking. I don't think there's anything inappropriate in our prayers to say, God, you've done amazing things in the past. Would you please do it again? Now, God could say absolutely, or God could say no, or God could say, I've already got it figured out. Just hold on. But as long as you come with an attitude of humility and say, please, God, would you, God, as opposed to, God, you have to, or God, you're obligated to, or God, you must. You see the difference there? When we say, God, you must, or God, you're obligated to, then we cross the line to making demands upon God versus petitioning or asking him. Okay? Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Is there anything wrong with asking God to give us what we need and even to remind God that he's done it in the past? Let me ask you this. Has God done something amazing in your life and your family, like in the past where he really came through and that was kind of a, a spiritual marker in your life and then when you pray, you kind of remind God that he did that in the past as a way to do something again? There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. God may not, but you just need to be careful that you're not demanding God. Now, what's he praying specifically? What's the ask here? What's he praying? Okay, look at verse 16. This is the specific request. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of the fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Basically what Daniel's saying is, our city, Jerusalem, is lying in ruins. It's a byword. It, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a heap of rubble. It's a disgrace. Would you allow us to go back? 
bring the 70 years to its close and let us go back and rebuild. Let's go back to the city. Let's go back to our land. Let's go back to the promised land. Let us go back to Jerusalem. They want to go back to where your house and your name is. Now, he's pouring out his heart. He's not demanding of God, but I want you to notice the strong language Daniel uses in this prayer. Okay, so, so look at verse 17. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake. O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that's called by your name. And then verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention. Act. Don't delay. I mean, does this sound like a little overpressuring to you a little bit? God, open your eyes. God, act. God, do something. God, God, work. Don't delay. Do it quickly. Listen to my prayers. I'm crying out for mercy. Please listen. Now, before we get uncomfortable with this type of language, just go back and read some of the Psalms. Some of the psalmists and Job and other people, they pray with this type of heartfelt it almost sounds a little bit like they're pressuring God to do something, but it's that heart cry of, God, we want you to act. Listen, please, I'm desperate. I'm crying out. It's, it's kind of boldness. It's praying with boldness. Now, again, there's a difference between praying with boldness and praying with demanding God to do something. I think... I, I think there are times where it's appropriate for you to be on your knees and to cry out from the depths of your heart, Oh, Lord, would you please do this? I'm begging you. But then what do you have to follow it up with? If it's your will. That's where it gets tough. Okay? So, let's, so what, why is Daniel praying? That's number one. Big, remember I said four big things we're going to talk about this morning? Number one, why is Daniel praying? Because God is sovereign, and he reads in the book of Jeremiah that the 70 years are coming to an end, and that they're supposed to not be in exile anymore. Number two, what's his attitude of prayer? He's praying heartfelt, passionate, humility, humble. What are the three elements of the prayer? He starts with praise, adoration, he moves to specific confession, and then he asks God boldly to act. He actually asks God to do something. But then number four, and this is very, very important. This is probably the biggest issue Let's think about the basis for Daniel's prayer. He's, he's asking God, move quickly. Don't delay. But you find the king in verse 18. Oh, my God, incline your ears and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that's called by your name. And here's the important part. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. So here's the question. Can we ask boldly? Can we come with anguish and want God to work quickly? Can we persistently come to our Heavenly Father and want Him to move? Yes, we can. But the answer comes in verse 18 when we adopt the proper perspective about God 
and the appropriate respective about us as creatures. What is Daniel saying there in verse 18? What's he saying? God, I'm not bringing anything to the table that's going to make you answer my prayers. I don't have any righteousness of my own. You are not obligated to answer. I cannot manipulate you. I cannot demand of you. I can't arm twist. And I don't even deserve an answer from you. So I'm not coming to you based upon my righteousness. I cannot offer you anything. So the basis for Daniel's prayer is not, is not his impeccable character, his faithfulness, his obedience, his steadfastness, or his stellar record as God's man in Babylon. We can't appeal to our resume. And if there's anybody who had an impeccable character, it was what, Daniel? Do we see anything wrong about Daniel? Do we see any sins? Now, not that he was perfect or never sinned, but the book of Daniel presents him as a man of utmost integrity. And he's praying and saying, my integrity doesn't mean anything. My righteous, I have nothing to offer. So what's the basis for Daniel's prayer and all prayer? You see it right there in verse 18. We do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but here's the reason. Because of what? Great Your mercy. great mercy. Yeah. So the basis for Daniel's prayer and all prayers is this. It's God's great mercy. Meaning this. God is not obligated to answer. God is not obligated to move and act. God owes us nothing. But because of his great mercy and because he's a wonderfully, perfectly heavenly father, he gives us what is best. I worded that correctly or carefully. He doesn't give us necessarily what we want, but he gives us what he deems is best. So here's the bottom line when it comes to praying and asking God to move, act, and answer. Here's what we should say after we've poured our heart out to God. This should be the ultimate end of your prayer, beginning of your prayer, permeated throughout your whole prayers. Father, whatever will bring you the most glory and conform me to your son, Jesus, that's what I want. That will change your praying. Whatever's going to bring you the most glory and whatever's going to conform me most to Jesus, that's what I want. Now, when you pray that, what may that mean? God will conform you to the image of his son. And that may mean what? I will answer your prayer, my dear child, but it may mean that it it's not in the way you want it to be answered or in the timing that you want. Or you may have to go through some trials for me to conform you to my son. Or you may learn to not be so selfish so that I get all the glory. I mean, we can be selfish in our praying, which is kind of weird. I was watching TV about 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Um, and it was, I can't remember if it was TVN. It was one of those weird televangelist channels. And it was a church in Denver. It was a mega church in Denver. And I... I honestly thought it was a joke when I was watching them sing. They had this choir, and they were all in robes, and they were, they were clapping their hands, they're singing. And, and um, the song they were singing was, I want my money. 
I want my blessing. I want my money, and I want it now. Jesus, give me my money. And it was like this, and everybody in the congregation was like, give me my money. And I'm like, are they really? Are they really saying that? And then the phone number came up. Literally, I thought this was a joke. 1-800-BLESS-ME. <laughs> that was what the phone number was. And I thought, wow, that's going to become a sermon illustration someday. I want my money, bless me. Versus whatever will bring you the most glory, God, and whatever will conform me to your son, that's what I want. It's just a shorthand way of saying, thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. So you can pray and pour your heart out to God. You can cry out to him. You can ask. You can request. Daniel here is very bold. He's like, Lord, move. Lord, please, please act. I'm reading it in the Bible, and it doesn't quite make sense, and I know you promised it, so please do it. You've done it in the past. Please, please listen, act, move, do it. But then he comes with this attitude of humility. He's like, but at the end of the day, God, I know I have nothing to offer you. If you're going to answer and act, it's because of your mercy, not because I deserve it or you're obligated to do it. It's because you're sovereign and you're good and you're going to do it. So, why pray? Because God is sovereign. How should we pray? Adoration, confession, and petition is a simple model. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to practice praying, not out loud. This may be a little interesting for those that are on the live stream. So there may be a little bit of silence, but live stream watchers, you can practice this too. So adoration. What I want you to do tonight is I want us just quietly there by yourself, spend some time praising God for at least one of his attributes. You've seen this morning through our song, well, we have some songs or scriptures, something that you've seen today, an attribute of God. So, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and we will go into a time of silent prayer, and then I will, I will close this, and then we'll move on to the next one, okay? So, this is a time of adoration. I'm, teach, I'm teaching you. We're going to practice what we've learned tonight. So, let's spend a few moments in silent prayer, praising, adoring God, for his grace and mercy and greatness. So would you bow your heads and we'll spend a few moments in prayer and then I'll, I'll close this as we move forward through this process. Father, I just want to echo what Daniel says here. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. Father, we are so thankful that you keep covenant with us. You don't break your covenant. You don't break your promises. You have loved us with an everlasting love and you will continue to love us. We don't deserve your love, but we come into your presence because you are great 
because you are awesome, because you are mighty, because you are holy. We magnify your name. We come into your courts with praise. We honor you. We thank you. So Lord, thank you for this opportunity we, we have to come into your presence and just honor you. As Jesus taught us to say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. You are in heaven. You are exalted. And so you are the great and awesome God. And we give you praise tonight. Amen. All right. Now we move on to confession. So we're going to go again into some quiet time. Spend some time being specific with sin in your life and be honest before God. Lay it out there and then experience the grace of the cross. So this is where I'm going to lead us to just a time of, of confession, confessing your own sins before the Lord. So let's go into a time of confession. Not out loud, okay? This is not between you and God. Father, we know there are times that there are sins that we commit that are transgressions against your law. And then there are times that we fail to do the things we're supposed to do. And that's just as much a sin when we don't do what we're called to do. So, Lord, please forgive us for those times that we don't do what you call us to do and when we do break your, your law. Lord, I do specifically confess the sin of getting impatient with Zachary earlier today. And Lord, please forgive me for that. And Lord, I'm sure all of us here have things that we specifically can confess. But Lord, we thank you that Jesus, you died for our sins. You've forgiven us of those sins. We can come and have the assurance to know that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, help us to be specific in our confession, but also to realize that there is hope, there's grace, there's forgiveness in you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, now we move to petition. So spend some time asking God for something that you're struggling with in your life. It's okay to plead and ask God to move and act and not delay. But remember, it's not because of your righteousness, but it's because of his great mercy. So this is your chance just to ask God to, maybe something's weighing on your heart that you want God to, to do. So spend some time in prayer. Asking God, pouring your heart out to him in petitions.
Father, there's a lot of things going on in the life of our church and, and people that we know. And the first thing that, that I'm thinking of tonight is our, our dear brother, Doug Couch, who's struggling with cancer, Lord. And um, I know that they used to go to this church and his parents are members here. And Lord, I know as a young man with a family, you can bring about healing. And so Lord, I just pray as they come back from Atlanta, that they would have some answers for treatment and that Lord, you would, you would heal him if that be your will. And so Lord, our prayer with this and with all things is that it would bring you the most glory and it would conform us most to your son. And so Lord, that's what we want. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So let me give you two ways practically to remember this with an acronym. Okay. And we didn't go through the acronym tonight, but there's, there's three elements, but so some of you have probably seen this one, right? Acts. You guys seen adoration? Confession. This is what was not in Daniel's prayer, Thanksgiving. And then supplications, an old way of the word petition. These are kind of old words. But Acts is like an old way of thinking. I start with adoration, I move to confession, then thanksgiving, and then supplication. That's one way to remember it, okay? Let me give you another way. Can I erase that? Do you guys have that? Or can I, do you want to leave it up there? You guys good? Okay. Another one, I think this is a little easier because it spells the word pray. <laughs> P-R- a Y. Okay, so this would be praise, repent, ask, and then yield. This is kind of almost what you see in Daniel's prayer. He started with praise, repenting, confessing. He asks God, then yield is more is that thing I prayed at the end. It's not because of your right, my righteousness, it's because of your mercy. I'm yielding my will to yours. Whatever would bring the most glory to you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm yielding my life to you. So praise, repent, ask, yield. It's just kind of a, a way to remember the order when you're praying. So are there any questions tonight on prayer? Just, it's a little bit more, this is the most practical we've had from Daniel. It's not weird beasts and gruesome things and <laughs> Antiochus epiphanies and all these weird things. That'll happen the next time. Any questions? Which one? Uh, I missed the one right after confession. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I knew it was an easy one, but I couldn't. Yeah, Thanksgiving, which is coming up in a few weeks. All right. If you guys are all right, I'll go ahead and close. I'll close this in prayer one more time. Did you have a question, Tanya? Yeah, go ahead. Well, my roots in this, what strikes me is that concern for how the Lord was being perceived by the people yeah. around him that they would say, oh, I thought, you know, he was going to take care of you guys, and, you know, because yeah. we've heard all he has done before, and he doesn't want his name to be right. dispersed. God's, yeah, and, and the very fact that Israel's lying in ruins is a disgrace to God's, because that's where God inhabited. Remember yes. he says, let your face shine again upon your temple. It's like that is where God dwelled. And we're displaced from that, and that's where your glory is at. So it is a disgrace to have the temple desecrated and your glory not to be there. 
So it makes us look bad, and more, more importantly, it besmirches your name. And so that's what we're confessing this sin. Yeah. All right, fair enough? All right, let's pray. Again, Father, thank you for this opportunity we've had tonight to learn about prayer. And Lord, I know sometimes praying is hard work, but Lord, it is just praising you for who you are, confessing our sins, asking, and then yielding our lives to you and letting, letting the heart, our hearts cry be that your will would be done. So Lord, just to go before us, Lord, if there are any specific requests or things that are weighing down upon people tonight, I pray that you would just comfort them and, and guide them and shepherd them and, and be um, in only the way that you can, Jesus. 